Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. Say, look at me. Welcome into the All 22 Podcast. My name is Chris Lombardi, and I'm with Ray Cotto. Ray, it's 4th of July weekend, which means you're going to be eating some hot dogs, some some cheeseburgers. What do you got going on? Yeah, hot dogs, burgers. Uh, I also – so there's an Instagram of Saquon Barkley going around. It's like bench squatting 585 pounds. And so I was also lifting weights yesterday. And I think I pinched a nerve in my neck. So like, I can't really turn to one side. So I'm, I'm kind of hurting a little bit. So uh, I don't know what that has to do with this, this upcoming weekend. I mean, Canada's on fire again. So like the air quality isn't very good over here, but uh, yeah, we're still going to, still going to grill, you know, eat, eat the dogs, burgers, enjoy some, enjoy some time out and with some family, you know, all, all the good stuff. This It's just another checkpoint before training camp, right? That's just how I look at life is just, you know, counting down days till training camp in the regular season. And this is just July 4th is just another day. True. Well, I mean, it's not, but yeah. true. <laughs> um, and yeah, the smoke from Canada's come in and it's, uh, I was supposed to be at the beach this weekend, but that's not happening because of the smoke. So thank you, Canada. Um, but I was in Montreal last weekend for a bachelor party. So definitely thank you, Canada. That was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, let's jump into this thing, right? So the first thing we wanted to talk about was actually before I do that, First thing I want to talk about is that signups are live. So if you haven't yet, get in there and sign up. Ray, do you have the promo code in front of you? Oh, it's there. There it is. Second season. So that's the number two ND season for $20 off your all 22 membership. So get in there and do that. We are live. You can sign up. You can create a league. uh, and You can start drafting. So uh, get in there and do that. But the first thing we were going to talk about today is the free agent market has been really slow post-draft, right? There's a bunch of star names like DeAndre Hopkins, Dalvin Cook, Taylor Luan, Zeke, uh, even Marcus Peters, right? There's a bunch of guys out there. Uh, and it's taking a while for any team to really commit to any of these guys. So first, I kind of want to know what's happening. Second, how's this affecting your All-22 team? For the most part, there are guys on the backside of their careers, right, if they were still on the ascension or really in their prime, they would, they would be signed and getting ready for a team's training camp or what have you. Right. So being the, the ageist that I am on this podcast, I don't have very many shares of any of those guys. Uh, I might have one like Marcus Peters share in one of my leagues that I like begrudgingly drafted late in a startup or something. But um, I think this time of year, there's, there's really not much movement because it feels like it's kind of on both ends in the sense of like someone with, you know, eight years in the league is not necessarily in a rush to, to sign and jump into a full training camp, right? Vets don't like training camp. We've seen that before. We've seen guys just wait till, you know, late August or or mid, mid August rather mid to late August to sign with the team and then just kind of, ramp up for two weeks before the regular season starts because no one wants to deal with the full training camp. Uh, also, a lot of them figure their leverage is going to only increase 
based on, you know, training camp injuries. They happen everywhere. It happens every year. Someone's going to go down and there's going to be a need that opens up that someone doesn't have today as we record on June 30th. Uh, and so, bam, a, needs open, a need opens up that increases your leverage and increases your market value. So there's really no rush to sign if you're a player without a team right now. And then likewise, as a team that may not have a dire need at a particular spot, there's no need to rush and sign a vet either. You'll wait and see what your young guys have or see if the, the market comes down or what have you before making a move and just kind of, you know, play that waiting game. It's like a little bit of a staring contest. So I'm not terribly surprised. And I think for the most part, it's the guys who have a lot of years vested in the league and you're probably not counting on them to, to really drive the success of your all 22 team. They may be filling in a spot here or there. Uh, at the back end of a depth chart or your rotation or something to that effect. So uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a waiting game, which is just sort of the theme of, you know, the smack dab middle of the summer. So I think I get that for Dalvin cook, right? Dalvin cook is a running back. He doesn't want to go to camp. He doesn't want to do those things. He's got three offers on the table. Supposedly, I think maybe it was even four. Um, and it makes sense for him to, to sit and just kind of relax, heal his body and get ready for next season because a running back could step into a situation and be fine. But Hopkins is a little bit more interesting to me because he is on kind of the tail end of his career, or so it seems. I don't know if there's. it's clear that he has offers already, and the receiver position is different. You can't just step in and have an instant connection with the quarterback throwing you the football um, and you know to, to be able to just produce right away. It takes a little bit of time to get that connection. So either he's planning on going to a place with a quarterback he already has a relationship with, or our team's not as interested in DeAndre Hopkins as the media is. I mean, the two teams in particular that I think of are the Bills and the Patriots, right? Haven't those sort of been the the rumors? And so maybe he's trying to just sort of pit them against each other and see if you could drive up the, the asking price a bit. Um, I don't know. There's also some weird stuff going on with, uh, did we ever get any clarity on what was going on in Buffalo with Stefan Diggs and, and that whole deal? Could that have been around Deandre Hopkins? I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just totally spitballing here cause we have nothing to work with, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, good, it's a good, it's a good game to play though, because mm-hmm. how does that impact Diggs if Hopkins was to go there, in my opinion, not at all, right? Like Hopkins is mm-hmm. the clear number two to Diggs at this point in their careers. Um, if you uh, disagree with me, I'd love for you to tweet at me because I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. But that's my take. I think he's a clear number two. And then the New England thing, it's like, I don't see why a guy in Hopkins' position would want to go to New England. Do we really think that New England is in a position to win a Super Bowl? I don't. And do we really think Mac Jones is a quarterback that's going to get the most out of the skill set that Hopkins has. No, right? He's not a deep he's not a deep throwing quarterback. That's not his game. He's a he's a game manager. He's a dink and dunk guy. Uh, he's extremely ap- accurate and he does those things at a high level, but that's not Hopkins' game. I I think Hopkins would want to go play with Josh Allen. I would think so too. Um especially you consider that Bill O'Brien is over in New England right now as the offensive coordinator and he was basically the one that shipped Hopkins out of town in Houston. So there's a, there's a little bit of a weird dynamic there. Um, so who knows? I'm not the conspiracy guy in this podcast, right? And, and, and Bobby's not here to, to carry the torch on the conspiracy, but maybe those two teams were interested in Hopkins. Maybe Hopkins was like, Hey, kind of feeling Buffalo 
and maybe Stefan Diggs was kind of not feeling Hopkins feeling Buffalo. And that's what this whole thing was about. And, and now we're in this, this waiting game. I put like a 4% chance of that actually being the case, but it's fun to talk about on June 30th. <laughs> so yeah, just throw, I'm just going to throw conspiracies out there until one of these guys <laughs> signs, because you know, it, it's because it's the middle of June, we got to fill some air time and it's just more fun that way. Sure. And I think, you know, the, the part I wanted to get to with this is how does this impact your fantasy team? Right. So, I mean, for me, we, we talked last week about how I'm not going to add and Ray totally you're that guy, right? Like these aren't the guys that we go after to try to build a team, but I would say that a lot of them are, could be like missing pieces that if you need one of them and you need somebody that's going to perform at a high level for your team and that guarantee, these are perfect guys to go after. So I think a guy like Zeke, maybe a little bit less, but if you're talking about like a Marcus Peters or Robert Quinn uh, and a Taylor Luan, those are guys that like, I'm all for it. Go add them if you can get them for dirt cheap, right? If it's if somebody else has them and it's going to take a sixth round pick or a seventh round pick, I'm all for that. Go get one of those guys if you think that they're going to be kind of that, that stop gap that you're looking for to help you win a championship. But if you're not in championship mode, sell these guys right now, right? Or the minute they sign to the new team, just make sure that you have a deal in place to get rid of them. Yeah, I know we did a, a pretty lengthy segment on DeAndre Hopkins a few weeks back, sort of about this very thing, right? It's like, he's getting older, little nicked up, could be late, late career Julio Jones, which is not a good thing, right? But when we last saw him, he was still playing and grading at a very high level, which is important at wide receiver, especially the second highest valued position in the game. So if you can, if he's still that guy who's grading very well for you, that's a, that's a big deal. That's an impact player. Even if it is for one year, you just have to balance whether you think he's still that guy with the added variable being that you don't know where he's going to be as well. Who's going to throw him the football. What does the offense look like? What does the situation look like overall? So there's more questions than answers there. So I guess the first question you have to answer for yourself is, do you think he's still that guy? Because if so, then it, like you mentioned, there are some other question marks out there, but at that point, it may be worth the price of trying to add him on the low here for you know a contending team if you're looking to go for it. Sure. And I, I didn't prep you for this one, but I think it's a good question to ask. You know, We know that Tony Pollard is getting a lot of hype to be the guy to replace Zeke, so I'm not going to talk about him. But who's replacing Cook and who's replacing Hopkins, and how do we start to evaluate those guys, right? So I think behind Cook, there's a couple guys to think about who do you like the most and what are they worth, right? Like what, is it worth going and pursuing one of those guys? I, I, I would take Dwayne McBride as, as my third running back on my roster. And I think he's got some really high upside. He fell in the draft because of off field stuff, apparently, and not necessarily anything related to his game. So I think the running game is set up well for the next guy in Minnesota. Now it may be a full timeshare. I just don't see Alexander Madison, taking the reins and getting a lot of carries there. So I think at the very least, it's going to be a committee there between those two, Madison and, and McBride. And I like the talent and upside of McBride. So I'm gobbling up a lot of shares of Dwayne McBride if I can get him, just because the upside is there and you're not, you're not taking him as your number one running back. So it's definitely worth a shot as you get later on in your drafts, both startup and rookie. So, um, yeah, 100% in on, on Dwayne McBride. 
I think I think we've seen what Madison is at this point, and it's a really solid number two guy, but not someone who can elevate as the guy. So probably not someone you're looking to to really stash or hold on in your all twenty two team, like someone like Dwayne McBride may end up being um, based on his potential upside. So that's my play for for the Dalvin Cook replacement there uh, in Minnesota for receiver and replacing. DeAndre Hopkins, I'm just I'm just staying away. Um, are any of them even like over five ten? I forget. I, I forget, but I think they discussed it on the PFF NFL pod too about how like, hey, they just need like one more like short slot receiver and they could just roll them all out there. Well, they got rid of Andy <laughs> Isabella, right? If they had him still, if they had him back, perfect. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's so much quarterback uncertainty there. Uh, when does Murray return? What does he look like when he does return with the knee? Uh, it's it, it's not a good it's not a good roster it's not a good situation. I'm I'm probably staying away from from skill guys in Arizona and really just looking at players who whose performance is solely dependent on them only and not necessarily the environment around them as far as who's throwing them the ball. Is anyone there to draw coverage from them? Are they facing stack boxes? Things of that nature. So yeah, I'm. I'm taking a shot on Dwayne McBride at running back, and I'm probably just staying clear of all Cardinals weapons at this point. Okay. All right. Let's jump into the new segment we're going to kind of introduce today, which is just called Hidden Gems, right? So we want to talk about guys that maybe aren't the top players on the team, guys that like everybody knows to go invest in, maybe guys that you might have been down on last year, right? That we think might have huge upside this year. So uh, today we want to just talk about the AFC East. And as always, right, we're going to go alphabetical, starting with the Bills. And I'm curious, Ray, who is it that you said on this Bills team is a hidden gem? Because it's full of a lot of superstars. So who's your guy? I'm interested to see how often we overlap on on these guys as we go we through. Didn't, yeah, we didn't prep. We didn't prep. <laughs> so I have one for, for each side of the ball. I would say Mine's calling. Defense, if you want to do offense, then. I, I was going to start with defense because I think to call my offensive player a hidden gem is probably a bit strong, but that's fine. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. I'll I'll go on offense then. So of course I'm going Connor McGovern who's slated to be the left guard over there in, in Buffalo. So he never really clicked with Joe Philbin in Dallas. At least that's sort of the word out of, out of Dallas. Uh, and so he flashed talent, but never really put it all together at any point during his tenure there after he was drafted in the third round a few years ago. Um, but he was also never provided a consistent opportunity to, to playing time, right? When he was drafted in that guard, they had Zach Martin and Connor Williams at each guard spot already. Uh, then, uh, in 2022, they drafted Tyler Smith in the first round to play left guard and of course like i said you had zach martin at right guard so uh there's really no window for mcgovern to to play at least uh at the start until injuries hit and then that's essentially what happened injuries hit uh tyron smith got hurt again surprise surprise uh the cowboys moved tyler smith to left tackle mid-season due to those injuries to both tyron smith and jason peters and then eventually Terrence Steele also got hurt uh, but Connor McGovern also got nicked up early on in the year and never seemed to really regain his footing, even when he came back into the lineup and started at left guard for the remaining 12 games or whatever it was. Um, 
He graded out as a much better pass blocker than run blocker, though. He was actually 14th best in the NFL in 2022 as a pass blocker. And so the Bills were top eight in pass attempts per game in the league in 2022 and just drafted another offensive weapon in Dalton Kincaid, which is that's a receiving weapon. That's not a an inline blocking tight end by any stretch. If anything, he's a slot receiver. So uh, that goes to show you where their head is at over there in Buffalo. So now Connor McGovern gets a fresh start and a new offensive philosophy that seems to suit what he did well during his time in Dallas. And uh, again, at a position that's not very deep throughout the league where we don't have a lot of good, dependable, reliable guards to really fill our all 22 rosters with McGovern could be a sneaky good play here. And this time next year, it could be a lot higher in the rankings than he is today. So if that resonates with you, just be sure that you're drafting or trading for the right Connor McGovern. I like that one. I think that's a pretty good take. Um, Mine's on the defensive side, like I said, Uh, and you might look at it and say, that's not a hidden gem, but I'm going to go with it anyway, but it's Kyrie Elam. And it's because Not a lot of people liked him last year, right? He didn't perform great, and people were down on him. But he is a first-round pick, so I'll take I'll take the the smoke for picking a first-round pick um, as my hidden gem. But the reason I picked him is because he was tested a lot last year, right? He was asked to be the Bills' number one corner when Tre'Davious White was out, and he had to face some of the best receivers in the NFL. And every single week, he was getting taken advantage of, right? But there were there were a few games that I saw some good things from him. And I especially saw that in his two playoff games, right? So he had two playoff games, one versus Miami, one versus Cincinnati. Those are two of the best receiving cores in the entire league, right? Uh, He had an 88.1 grade against Miami and then a 74.2 against Cincinnati. So his two playoff games against the best receiving cores in the NFL, he showed up to work, right? He gave up two catches for eight yards in those games combined and came away with an interception, right? So while he struggled throughout the year being the number one guy, when it came to, you know, push came to shove, he showed up for work and he did his thing. And I love that. So I am excited for him to become potentially like a, a permanent stay on your all 22 team because of what he can be, right? Yes, he had a rough year. He was asked to do a lot, but we saw flashes of a really good corner with a great athletic profile who's 6'1 and runs in the four threes. So I'm taking Kyrie Elam. I think if you haven't yet, if you were down on him, if you're uh, thinking of selling, I would not hold on to him. I think you got a good player in Elam. <clears throat> I like that. It, it's 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 the easy answer, so I should like it. But uh, you made a good case there. I actually went with another corner. I went with uh, Taron Johnson because I think the kid is just consistently good and doesn't get any love for it. So, yes. Teron Johnson, consistently good, never gets any love for it. In 2021, he had the fourth lowest passer rating given up in slot coverage uh, with the second most coverage snaps of anyone in the top 10 when it came to uh, passer rating given up. That did fall to 30th in 2022 because as we talk about with high variance at quarterback, at cornerback, uh, six of those receptions against him went for touchdowns. So he was still ninth among corners with 250 coverage snaps in the slot as it relates to yards per coverage snap given up. So it's not as if he was giving up a ton of big plays. It's just the ones that he did give up ended up in the end zone, which is obviously not where you want it to be. But 
again, that just kind of goes to show the variance of corner. And so to me, I look at that and say that 2022 appeared to be on the low end of the range of outcomes for him based on what we've seen, which was still a top 20 graded season among all qualifying corners in 2022. And I doubt he's on many top 20 cornerback lists these days, but maybe he should be. So maybe that uh, secondary in Buffalo is shaping up to actually be a pretty strong unit with Johnson, the emergence of uh, Kyrie Elam. And if Tredavious White can get back to form, he kind of had a couple of down years here lately. So maybe if he can kind of get back to his old self, that's a pretty strong trio. Yeah, I really like that, you know, and it's, it's a good point, right? Like that was a really weak spot for them a couple of years ago. And in one draft, did they actually turn it around? I think there's potential for that. Um, and I think there's potential for that for your all 22 teams as well, right? Those are guys that you should go and look at as investment pieces because when Von Miller comes back, right, that only helps those guys, right? He was gone for a lot of the year. That's They, they faced a lot of injury last year, that defense. So when you get those vets back out there, uh, I like to see what those kids really become. So definitely worth a shot. Let's move to Miami. I'll leave this one off. Uh, if you look at Miami's roster, right, up and down, it's one of the best rosters in the NFL. So it's hard to really find a guy that's like, you haven't heard of, right? Like I'm not going to surprise anybody with a name that they haven't heard of yet. But what I will say is I think there's a guy that has potential to step up after a really rough start to his NFL career. And that's Austin Jackson. So Austin Jackson and Liam Eichenberg are the two guys on that offensive line that I think everybody's like basically done with. And I feel that way about Eichenberg. I think he might be done, but I think Austin Jackson deserves a shot. Uh, And the reason being is, we haven't really seen him yet in the Mike McDaniels offense. He came into year three uh, with the hopes of playing next to Robert Hunt and Connor Williams and across from Taron Armstead, right, on the opposite side. And he played about eight, uh, 14 snaps in week one, and that was it, right? He, he basically was done for the year, got injured, came back in week 12, but wasn't healthy and missed the, the rest of the season. So injuries just totally ruined his year, and we have no idea what he will look like in that offense. Again, that was his third year in the NFL. He's only had two where he actually played. He was like a mid-50s player, so definitely an underachiever. But he has kind of jumped around position to position there in Miami as well and now is meant to settle in at right tackle. Um, And I think, you know, in the Mike McDaniel system, let's give this guy a shot, right? When you're on an offensive line with Robert Hunt, Connor Williams, and Taron Armstead, there's a chance that you can step in and just be, you know, okay, if you can hold down your situation, those guys can do the rest, right? And I think that's a benefit that Austin Jackson could have if he earns that right tackle spot. The caveat being they went and brought in Isaiah Wynn, right? Isaiah Wynn has played tackle, he's played guard. I think ultimately he starts the year at guard for Eichenberg, but I think Austin Jackson's leash is going to be very short. So if Jackson messes up, obviously tackle being the more important position, they move Wynn there. Maybe they move Jackson to guard. Maybe they bring back Eichenberg. But I think they give Jackson the shot. And I think if he gets the shot, you know, I think he's still like 24, 25 years old. You're getting a, a tackle on one of the best, most explosive offensive in the offensives in the NFL. That's a guy you want to invest in as maybe your fifth tackle that you're just, you know, if you have an extra spot, right? He's not your one, two, three, or four tackle, but he's a guy that you don't want to play. And you're just kind of hoping that he pans out. So you have him as the five. So that's what I would do. I would take a risk on him and just hope that he works out and becomes a young, strong offensive tackle in the league. Yeah, I drafted Austin Jackson when he was coming into the league and in our league, and it hasn't been fun. But 
I mean, I'm all for any combination or pathway that involves Isaiah Wynn and Austin Jackson being on the field as opposed to Eichenberg. As done as I feel like I am because of how much he's burned me with uh, Austin Jackson, I am dunner, if that's a word, with Liam Eichenberg. So um, I'm with you on that one. So I'm glad you took an offensive player there because uh, mine was an absolute stretch. I almost feel like I should just say it anyway, just in the event that on the 2% it pans out. You'll sound like a genius. Absolute genius. So I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to shoot the shot. Let's do it. Cedric Wilson, completely invisible last year. They signed him to a pretty decent-sized contract after a breakout season in 2021 with the Cowboys. And there was talk about Miami trading him or trying to trade him this offseason after just one year with the team. And maybe they still will. Who knows? But... In 2021, during his breakout season in Dallas, he lined up in the slot 90% of the time and was ranked the 43rd receiver in the NFL from just a pure season grade perspective, right? So in 12-team, all 22 leagues, that's a borderline wide receiver three for your roster. That's, That's pretty legit. That's an important player on your team, on your roster. And he was 15th in yards after catch per reception in the NFL. In an offense like Mike McDaniel that creates those yak opportunities based on sort of the the angles with which they attack the defense and the misdirection that, that, that they employ in the backfield along with the threat of just you know downfield passing with, with Hill and, and Waddle, there's a lot of yards after catch opportunities there. So they could be completely done with Cedric Wilson after just one season. It kind of appears that way, and I get it, but... If they're not, and if he gets an opportunity, and if he plays in the slot, and if he's his old self, that might be a buy real low opportunity there that you just kind of hang on to and see what happens. Because if he could regain that 2021 form, that's just another weapon in Miami that you have to worry about. So that's a lottery ticket for everybody here. I don't know if you have any take on that. Or not, I don't, you might lo- be I don't as love done it. with him. I don't love it. I don't love it. <laughs> Just because, uh, like, what happened last year? Like, how did how do we explain last year? Was he hurt? Like, tell me what happened to him. I think he got, I think he got nicked to... up, and you know, he was paid and got nicked up, and it's 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 Miami. I mean, I'm sure if you look at the splits of like James Harden, uh, you know, games against the Miami Heat, if it's like during the day, and he mm. hasn't yet fully recovered from the night before. His performance probably isn't that good. I don't know. I'm just going to start throwing out conspiracies. Maybe that's what happened with, with Cedric Wilson here. That's just the theme of this episode. I, I honestly couldn't tell you other than this guy was good in 2021 where he was a pure slot receiver. Mm-hmm. He was nicked up, didn't play a lot in 2022, but maybe he comes back and plays a slot. All right. Well, that's the take. I, I don't love it, but hey, all right. If somebody wants to listen to Ray, go for it. Do you have anybody else in Miami you want to talk about, or let's move to the Jets? I did say it was like a 4% chance it actually hits. Yeah, um, that's true. We spoke about David Long. I did write down David Long. Yeah, I, I thought about talking about him. about him too, but like, I yeah, like he's good now. He's like, I don't think he's a hidden gem anymore. <laughs> I feel like all the good linebackers are hidden, though, in the NFL these days with how they're attacked. But I agree. I think that's really the only one. And I think that just goes to show the strength of Miami's roster overall is that someone like David Long, who's a clear top 20 linebacker in the league, is the name you look at in that lineup and go, oh, well, he's not the 
the no-brainer guy that you know you absolutely can't discuss because it's Captain Obvious. Like that's still a really good player, and he's probably like the the seventh best name on that defense right now. So mm-hmm. they're in a really good spot. Uh, on defense overall it's a really strong unit i'm excited to watch them this fall um and just kind of see how they end up ultimately but um yeah they're looking real strong no need to go into the david long stuff again like you said we had a segment about him too uh, a few weeks back about his potential now that he's in miami surrounded by pass rushers got a guy like uh, christian wilkins in front of him he's a great pass rushing and coverage linebacker so regardless of how they decide to deploy him given the pass rushers in front of him He's in a good situation to just utilize his skill set. So yeah, he's stock up nice, David Long. He's gonna have a nice season. Tell me who you have for the Jets now. Oh man. Uh okay. I'm gonna go with the offensive side of the ball and go with Lakin Tomlinson. He was a top twenty-five guard for three straight years until twenty twenty-two came around. And I just think that has more to do with the absolute cluster that they had to deal with at quarterback. Nobody respected the passing game. Uh, for the Jets this past season. They had injuries all around him. He had 76 and 80 run blocking grades in 2020 and 2021 before like a disastrous grade, like 49 or something like that in 2022. I like to think that was an anomaly because again, nobody respected the passing game. They saw a lot of looks in the box uh, or a lot of stacked looks in the box rather that just make it hard for the offensive line to diagnose correctly and operate efficiently especially when you have a revolving door at quarterback behind you too. Um, We talked about how that makes such a huge difference in the lives of an offensive lineman. When we talk a lot about Tristan Wirfs and how he seamlessly came into the league and started performing at a high level because he had a quarterback like Tom Brady, just putting everybody in the right spot pre-snap and just making the game so simple and easy to just go out and execute. That was anything but for pretty much anybody on the offensive side of the ball for the New York Jets last year. And that's because of what they had or rather didn't have at quarterback in 2022. So now with Aaron Rodgers, that same type of upper echelon quarterback, both pre and post snap there, who's going to make defenses now respect the passing game and the weapons that they have to go along with it. Uh, they get, you know, Brees Hall back and, and they have some, some good running backs overall as well too, not just Brees Hall, but as far as the entirety of the running game goes, things are sort of looking back up for the offensive line as a whole, the situation's better. And I think that's going to help Lake and Tomlinson be closer to the guy that we saw from 2020 and 2021 and less of the guy that we saw in 2022. I think that's a great take. And it's such a good take that I have a very similar take about a different player on the Jets offensive line. But before I talk about that, I just want to say like looking at the Jets team, it is very good. Uh, But John Franklin Myers, like, you don't hear anything about this dude, and he is absolutely one of the most under-the-radar studs in the NFL. So I'm going to talk about him for a second. Not that he's a hidden gem. Just want people to hear about John Franklin Myers, right? He's 6'4", 288 edge, who puts his hand in the dirt a lot, right? But he's a much more balanced player than just a run-stopping defensive end, right? His run and, pa- his run and pass D grades are around a 75, which is great, right? Week in and week out, if you're getting 75 grade of, from your – Edge rusher, that's that's a very productive and good edge, right? His 2021 season, he graded 80.3, and in 2022, 82.6. Last year, he was our 10th edge in all 22 because of how many points he scored. Would you have ever thought that he was the 10th best edge based on the amount of conversation said about him? Absolutely not, right? No, absolutely not. 
John Franklin Myers, people, go draft him. Add him to your team. He's young. He's talented. Add him to your team. Yeah, people need to respect him a bit more. Um, I feel like I actually have quite a few shares of him, and it's funny because occasionally I'll get a trade offer for him. And it's as if the offer is the person on the other end clearly thinks highly of him. And they're banking on me not thinking highly of John Franklin Myers because he's so underappreciated and mm-hmm. not talked about it all. So they're just trying to rip me off. And I'm just like, it, that's not happening, pal. Like, this dude's a really good player and I'm just going to keep him. He's a good player. He's a good player. Yeah. He's not my hidden gem, but he's a good player. My hidden gem is purely projection. And I did this because I think he might end up being the savior for the Jets this year. So you were talking about like a 2% chance on Cedric Wilson. This guy's probably got like a 0.01% chance that this prediction is going to work out, but the Jets are good, so I had to figure something out. And it would only really ever happen is if Becton really doesn't come back healthy. So that's what I'm banking this projection on. Becton doesn't come back healthy. Who is going to save the Jets? Who's going to step into that right tackle spot and be the anchor that's going to help carry them to deep into the playoffs to win that Super Bowl that they've been dying for? I don't think it's going to be Vera Tucker because I think Vera Tucker is going to play guard. And I think what they do is they use Yadni Kajowski. Kajusti? I don't know how to say his last name. But this dude is actually okay, right? He's actually okay. And he is their backup tackle right now. He's 6'5", 310. He has two years in the league, two, 278 career snaps at 27 years old. Um, but he's coming out of New England, which is a good offensive line situation, right? Good coaching there. So this guy probably knows more about how to play offensive line than anybody on the Jets. Um, and he's going to walk in for the same reason you said to an offense with being led by a veteran quarterback, which we know has a very positive effect on offensive linemen. So uh, Kajowski, Kajusti, he's going to step in. He's going to play right tackle for the Jets when Makai Becton doesn't come back healthy. And he's going to be the savior for the Jets. And you're going to have him on your team as your sixth, sixth offensive tackle and uh, it's going to be your Super Bowl week 14, and you're going to end up starting them, and you're going to win it. And uh, I, I accept uh, thank you cards in the mail, so uh, feel free to mail them to me up in uh, upstate New York. What do you think of that one, if I could pronounce his name right? Sure, yeah. Yadni Kajust. Um, yeah, sure. I thought you were going to go with Billy Turner from from your from your Green Bay Packers, who, who then went over. but. Uh, that's sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's something that's, that's a lottery ticket. So it's, it's funny. It, it, it's yeah, it's, it's real hidden. It's funny though, because if I was in charge, right. And that's why we play this game all 22, because mm-hmm. we all feel like we should be in charge. I am the guy that like, instead of saying, Oh, let's take Barrett Tucker and move him over to right tackle because tackles the more you know impactful position is the most important position. Um, you know, on the offensive line, I say, just take your best player and say, where is my best player at his best? Oh, guard. Great. You're, you're, you're the guard. We will figure out tackle because I want my best players playing at their best because that gives me the best chance to win. Many others are of the different mindset of take your best players and put them at the most important positions. Even if he'd be a nine out of 10 guard, but he's a seven out of 10 tackle. Well, they'll take the seven out of 10 tackle. Chris Jones. I like yeah, the, the Chris Jones playing edge thing, exactly right. And it turned out they started moving him back inside way more often after that because he was just more effective that way. So I think you play your best players where they're at their best and you just go from there. Just 
let that be your priority as opposed to just trying to plug holes because you just, you kind of spread your top guys too thin and they're not as impactful as they otherwise would be. So if I was in charge, Yadni Kajust would have a greater than 0.01% chance of actually getting his shot. So Agreed. that's all I got to say. I also would just hope that it doesn't come because I have Makai Beckett. That's just another one. I got burned so badly in our startup uh, yeah. you know, inaugural league draft between guys like Makai Becton and, and, and Daniel Hunter and all these other guys that I drafted highly and just got hurt all the time. So I would like to see Makai Becton fully healthy and able to show what he can do and see if he can would. truly be the guy. I yeah. think everybody would. It's just, I, I, I think you need to hedge your bet. And I think this is the guy you hedge it on, but tell me who you have for new England. Oh, this is a fun one. So the new England Patriots, Many of you may have forgot that this person existed, but I'm going with Hunter Henry. And why am I going with Hunter Henry? Because he's a tight end and they have Bill O'Brien back. If you recall, Bill O'Brien orchestrated the last great two tight end offense in the NFL. It was revolutionary. It was Rob Gronkowski and that other guy. And then Bill O'Brien got hired at Penn State and he had a slew of tight ends as the focal point of that offense too. Uh, guys like Jesse James, uh, and then guys you haven't probably ever even heard of, uh, like Adam Brenneman before injuries derailed him. They had like walk-on guys named Matt Lehman and, and uh, another guy named Kyle Carter who were featured in an offense that had Allen Robinson at wide receiver, and they were still featuring tight ends in that offense, despite these guys having no true NFL future or prospects just because of how that offense is designed, built, and how they attack the defense at three levels and kind of from the middle out. And so that plays very well into the hands of tight ends um, under Bill O'Brien's tutelage, right? So Hunter Henry is is back in New England. He's under Bill O'Brien. Yes, they got Mike Kosicki too, but that doesn't bother me because again, Bill O'Brien has proof of concept for a two tight end offense and at wide receiver, they don't have anybody that's really going to gobble up a ton, of, a ton of targets or command a ton of targets from their quarterback. So they're going to be relying on their tight ends. So Bill O'Brien has a plan for tight ends, and that's a very, very good thing if you have one of his tight ends. So having Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki is not a hindrance to either one of them. To me, it actually just shows that they have a plan for the position. And again, when Bill O'Brien has a plan for tight ends, it's a very, very good thing. I like that a lot. And I mean, I guess what's the difference between those two guys as well, right? Is one can block and one can't in an all 22. Blocking for a tight end is very important, right? So if Gazeki goes up there and he's a liability as a blocker and they ask him to block, you definitely would rather have a Hunter Henry on your side. So uh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. My hidden gem might even be more hidden than Hunter Henry. And that's Mac Jones, dude. So, and I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding about it being hidden, but no, it is Mac Jones. And the reason being is because Mac Jones came into the league as a rookie. And I spoke about how I applauded what the Patriots did building that team around him, right? They went and spent a ton of money, Mac Jones rookie year, adding weapons that no, they did not get the best guys out there. They were not getting all these stud players and paying them a ton of money. But what they did is they spread the wealth and they got a lot of league average to slightly above league average players to surround their rookie quarterback with these veterans. And Mac had a great rookie season. 
Then they, in his second year, they basically did a complete 180, and I would call it a terrible strategy, right? Which is they gave this second-year quarterback two offensive coordinators, neither of which are offensive coordinators, right? They both are defensive-minded coaches. Um, but Mac has proved already that he is able to run an offense at a high level, and he did that as a rookie. And he even held his own last year, right? Like he could have been a lot worse last year. And I think it says something that Billy Zappi went out there and played some really good football and they still gave the keys to the car back over to Mac when he was healthy. They believe in Mac. And what did they do this offseason? You already talked about it. They went and added Bill O'Brien, his college offensive coordinator, to help Mac Jones regain kind of and reestablish his game and hopefully help him become one of the league's top quarterbacks in the NFL. The reason I'm talking about him here is this hidden gem is because I think a lot of people have already given up on Mac Jones, thinking that he is only this Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback. I think he can be better than that. I don't think he's ever going to be Patrick Mahomes. He's not the same kind of guy. But I think he can play football at a very high level and be in a very effective quarterback. And now he has the coaches in place, you know, along with Bill Belichick running that defense, to put him in a situation where – this could be a winning situation. No, I don't think it's as good as maybe any other team in their division, but it doesn't mean it's not a good football team, right? That's only six games in the uh, in the division that he has to worry about these top teams. Think, you know, yes, they're going to have some some tough games in that a- AFC, but Mac Jones can still play at a really high level. And when you're talking about quarterback in all 22, it is very expensive, right? If you don't spend a first-round pick on a quarterback, you are getting left with not great guys to choose from, right? And one of those guys might be Mac Jones, right? If, if you're in round four, round five, round six, those quarterbacks are all going to be dried up, right? You might be on quarterback 20 at that point. And at that point, and you still need your QB1, take a risk on Mac Jones, right? Go get a young quarterback that has a, what I think is a very high floor to uh, lead the rest of your, you know, the first round you're, you're adding an edge rusher, second round you're getting a star tackle, right? You're building up the core of this team, but you don't have your quarterback plug in Mac Jones and see what happens. Right. I think, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. Interesting. Would you take, and I don't necessarily disagree a whole lot there. Um, just to kind of see where you're at. Would you take Matt Jones or Trey Lance? Mac Jones or Trey, Mac Jones, definitely Mac Jones. One is a starting quarterback. One is third string on his team right now. Oh, okay. Mac Jones or Sam Darnold. <laughs> Mac Jones. It's not even a question. Not even close Mac, in my mind. Mac Jones or Brock Purdy? Mac Jones. Okay. Me too. Mac um, Jones or Tua? Probably Tua, right? I think I think Tua I knew you were gonna I, yeah, I wasn't gonna say Tua because I know you're a you're a Tua guy. So I'm a Tua guy. Yeah, yeah, you're a big Tua. I'm trying guy. to think of a good compare like where's the line, right? I think that's what you're looking for. Where's the line? Um mm-hmm. I think, you know, based on what's happening with Kyler right now. I think Kyler's kind of in that conversation. I think uh, Deshaun Watson is probably in that conversation. Oh, you're, I'm the Watson guy, so. You're the Watson yeah. guy. But, like, yeah, do I, would I rather have the guy that has, you know, performed well recently, not gotten arrest, doesn't have legal issues, and, uh, you know, his recent success is actually success? Yeah, I'd rather have that than the guy that hasn't played well in three years and has a bunch of legal issues. Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> um, that, that that's fine. If we if we do another startup here, at least I know I can sit on Deshaun a little while longer if you're in front of me. So, 
think I think he got in trouble for sitting on. All right, we're just we're moving on. Stop it. <laughs> I don't have oh, anything yeah, else. Really here. <laughs> we, we did the AFC East. Is there anybody else you want to talk about in the AFC East? Uh, who else did I write down? No, because on the Patriots defense, I said I really have nobody. Um, I had nobody. I'm just going to say real quick. Yeah, I have one guy. I don't have a ton on him, but Adrian Amos, right? The the uh, the Jets starting safety just went down. Was it Chuck Clark? I think right. Uh, got an injury. They signed Adrian Amos. He was really good for several years and then was just really bad last year. Maybe it was an anomaly, right? And now he's on a defense with Aaron Rodgers on the other side of the ball again on uh, on his team. And who knows? Maybe he's maybe that's all he needs. I don't know. Um, just a shot in the dark there because we talk about how hard it is to find good safeties in this league. Yes, he's 30 now. He's not a long-term answer or anything like that. But if you got a guy who was good four out of the last five years, yeah, the most recent year was bad, and maybe that's just who he is now, or maybe that's not. Maybe that was just you know part of the variance, and he'll have at least one more year where he's sort of back to his previous form, um, and that can buy you some time to try to figure out safety because it's a tough position to figure out overall. Well, think about how bad the Packers' defense was overall last year, right? It was a severely underperforming group. Now he goes to the Jets. They have the best defensive back group potentially in the NFL. So, yeah, I like that situation a lot more for Adrian Amos. I think uh, people have definitely heard of him, right? He's, he's, he's a name. He's a household name at this point. But I agree with you. He could be a hidden gem in the fact that, you know, his recent performance is nothing for you to be confident about. So um, somebody you, you would be taking a risk on by adding. Yep. I like it. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at all22 underscore PFF and leave us a review wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts. And uh, again, you can come and you can sign up at all22.com, all-22.com, and sign up with code Second Season. That's 2ND Season uh, for $20 off your All22 membership for 2023. Get in, get in here early. There's leagues filling up. We want people to draft as soon as possible so that you can start making trades and really just feel what we're feeling, right? It's all good vibes over here at All22. So get in there and sign up. Thank you again for tuning in. I'm a ghost.